when God intervenes in our lives. Church, God cares about you. He cares about what you're going through right now. And if you welcome Him, He will come and He'll minister to you no matter what you face. Amen? He's greater than a heart attack. Amen? Well, turn to Judges. Today I want to look at the, the story of Gideon. I love Gideon. I, I love the book of Judges and, and I love Samson and the stories there. And God raises up people to see His people set free. He raises up judges, or you could call them deliverers. And church, God wants to raise up people in our time, in our day. He wants to raise up people that will bring the freedom of Jesus to others. Amen? The story of Gideon is a story of victory. It's a story of triumph. It's a story of God intervening in a man's life and using that man in a way that is far greater than what he could ever imagine. And church, God wants to work in your life in that same way. Amen? He wants to do something through your life that will just blow your mind. (laughs) And so today I want to challenge you. We're living in a time when evil is just evident. It's manifested in our, in our country. And I believe that God wants to raise up men and women of God to have victory over the darkness. And that's what I'm calling this message, victory over the darkness. Because darkness is trying to come. It's trying to engulf our nation But the God that we serve that delivered Israel in their time of darkness, that same God is able to deliver us in our time. Amen? Now the the story of Gideon is in chapters 6, 7, and 8. And I'm going to refer to parts of each chapter. But obviously we're not going to read all three chapters. But I want to encourage you sometime this week to begin with chapter 6 and read through chapter 8, read the story of Gideon in its entirety because it'll bless you, it'll encourage you. Now, it's a story of the Midianites coming against God's people. The Midianites were a Middle Eastern tribe and their descendants are still today coming against Israel. It's a story that we see played out around the, the Israel today, how the other, many of the other Arab nations want to wipe Israel off the map. Well, that's what's taking place in the time of Gideon. They're surrounded by the enemy. The enemy is far greater in number. The situation looks hopeless. But I want us to look at chapter 7. I want to read some verses there. This is in the middle of the story. Look at verse 1 with me, chapter 7 of the book of Judges. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. Now it's interesting to note the well of Herod is, is like a pond and it's still there today. You can visit it. It's been flowing with water for thousands of years. And church, there's a point there I want to make. When we read the Word of God, we're reading history. 
It doesn't begin with once upon a time in a land far, far away. Right? It's history. It's God intervening in the lives of people just like God intervenes in the lives of people who turn to Him today. Amen? So they encamped beside the well of Herod so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Mori in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. The army was only 32,000, church. And they were still outnumbered greatly by the Midianites. But now, they're down to 10,000. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that... Of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lap, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. Now in chapter 6, Gideon has an encounter with God. And how many realize that an encounter with God will transform your life? Amen? One of the things I began to pray early when we had children is, Lord, let my children have a road of Damascus encounter with you. Lord, just like the Apostle Paul had. Lord, I want them to encounter you in such a glorious way that for the rest of their lives, they will never, ever doubt their relationship with a true and the living God. Well, Gideon has a relationship encounter like that. And what is happening here, they're at a point where the enemy is oppressing them. The enemy is coming against them. And what has happened, Joshua has passed away. Now when Joshua was leader, he said in a declaration before he died, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people immediately said, yes, and and us too. For for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord too. And so the blessing of God was upon Israel. But then Israel began to forget about the leader that Joshua was. And church, it shows us the importance of having a godly leader. A person of integrity, a person who sold out for God. I'm not saying they're perfect, 
But I'm saying Joshua said, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. He made that determination. And so the people joined that leader in his leadership and said, yes, we're going to follow in that. But after Joshua died, people began to forget that commitment and the importance of living for the Lord. And church, as a nation, we need to turn back to the Lord. We must. Now what would happen, there would be cycles of about 50 years. And over this period of time, they would turn away from the Lord. And then they would cry out and they would begin to moan and they would say, Lord, help us. Because something difficult would come into their lives. And this, at this time, it was the Midianites. They were coming and conquering Israel. They were taking their things. It was difficult because there was invasion. An invasion of the Midianite people. Their troops would wait until all the hard work had been done. All the crops had been planted. And then they would see right before the harvest was taken in and they would come and take all the food. All the labor that had been done would be lost by Israel. We find Gideon actually hiding in a wine press because of his fear of what was going to happen when the Midianites came in. And so in this situation, people began to cry out. Church, aren't you thankful that God gives us chance after chance after chance? He was giving Israel chance after chance. When they would turn away from Him, His hand of protection would lift off of them and He'd say, well, if that's what you want, if you want to follow evil, if you want that in your life, I'm going to show you what you're getting. And His hand would lift off of them of protection and then difficulty would come. The Midianites or someone else would come and bring oppression to God's people. But then they would repent. Hey church, repentance is not a dirty word. (laughs) Amen? Repentance is not a dirty word. We need to repent. As a nation, the only hope that we have is godly people rising up and facing what's taking place. And saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen? We're going to turn back to God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. It's plain, church. The only hope for America is turning back to God. And I thank God for those that serve in our government that are Christians. Because they make godly decisions. They pray They ask God for guidance and direction. And I encourage you, if if God has called you into that, then He will give you everything you need to be able to stand and make a difference. Amen? But the answer, church, isn't having a Christian in the White House. The answer is having a move of God in our nation. Amen? Oh, two or three people agree with me today. Come on, church. We talked about it last week. The importance. How that that God's Word gives us the promise. If we will humble ourselves and pray. And He's talking to His people. 
He's not talking to those who don't know Him. He's talking to His people. If my people who are called by my my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Amen? So Israel couldn't defend themselves. They were in a hopeless cycle. But the Lord would hear their cries. And And I want us to understand why they're called judges, why this book is called Judges. When we think of a judge, we think of someone in a black robe. We think of someone who who stands and presides over a court, and they have a gavel, and they slam the gavel down, and they direct what is to be done. And a lot of times we think, in our mind, that it's sending someone to prison. But that's not why the judge is there. The judge is there so that justice might be done. So that if someone doesn't deserve to go to jail, that they won't. Amen? And that's the idea of judge in the book of Judges. They were deliverers. They were bringing justice to God's people. God was raising up men and women who would lead the nation and say, the tyranny of the enemy is going to be stopped. How many like that idea? Church, God wants to raise up Christians who will be deliverers, who will stand for justice, who will make a difference in the lives of others. That's what the judge was doing. So judges were the people that God used to deliver His people. In the book of Judges, there's about 15 or so judges mentioned, and Gideon His story, again, is in chapters 6, 7, and 8. And I want to go back to chapter 6. I want want us to look at this verse. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Church, the way a nation lives makes a difference. (coughs) Excuse me. I have Christians come to me all the time and they don't want me to be political. And I'm not trying to go be political. But blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So many people today, even Christians, even Christians today think that, well, this is America. It's all about diversity. It's all about all kinds of different people coming into our nation. Yes, it is. I thank God for every nationality. Heaven's going to be filled with every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That's the way heaven's going to be. But the Bible's clear when it comes to the gods that we serve. And there's various gods mentioned throughout Scripture. There are various gods today around the world. They are not the same. They're not, church. And I I know that's not politically correct, but it is biblically correct. In church, it's not about Christians saying it's only our way and no other way will work. It's about God saying, I died on the cross for your sins and made a way for us to have fellowship and for you to live for eternity. And no one else did that. No one else did what Jesus did. So as a Christian, I don't want to bully people that don't believe like I do, but I want to be the love and the life of Jesus and I want to shine and I'm going to stand for truth and I'm going to tell them why that I do not believe that always gets you to heaven. 
That's part of rising up and being the church. We were founded by godly uh, men and women in this nation. That's why we've been blessed. Some people balk at that. Do your history homework. You'll discover the truth. We are a Christian nation from the beginning. Amen? And I keep declaring it. I keep prophesying it. The United States of America is still a Christian nation. And that's what brings the blessing of God according to His Word. That's why we enjoy all that we have. Amen? I'm going to get you all fired up one of these days. I don't know when. But... Look at verse 2 in chapter 6 of Judges. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, the strongholds which are on the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox, nor donkey. The Midianites would come and take everything they had. They wouldn't only do that. They would come and they would murder the people. They would rape the women. They, they were as evil as Hitler. They were on that level. That's what they would do against God's people. So God's people were in a position of weakness. They were outnumbered. They couldn't stand against the enemy. And the second thing, church, not only were they in a place of weakness... They were in a place of fear. Gideon himself was hiding in the wine press. And church, there's a tremendous message there for us. You may be in a place of weakness today. You may be in a place where you're afraid. But the God that we serve is greater than any weakness. And He's greater than any fear. Amen. He's greater than your weakness. He's greater than that fear. It was a hopeless situation, church. It doesn't matter how hopeless things look right now. I hear people that are just totally concerned, and, and, and they should be a, a sense of being concerned about what's taking place in our nation. But church, God's greater. God's greater, and I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to trust in God. It doesn't matter how weak we seem to be. It doesn't matter how overwhelming the situation. It, just like Israel. Our God is greater. He's greater than what you're facing. He's greater than the weakness that you feel right now. He's greater than any fear that's coming against you. And He calls us not to live in that fear. Look at verse 12. In chapter 6, jump down a few verses. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I love that. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Here's Gideon hiding in the wine press, scared, afraid, and God comes to him. Oh, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Now, at first, I read that, and you know what? I think God's mocking him. <laughs> but God doesn't mock us. He knows where we are. He knows when we're f fearful. He knows when we're struggling. 
And they had reason to be afraid of the Midianites. They were outnumbered. But church, there's a point here that I want you to get. I love this. God sees you through the eyes of who He created you to be. And He knows as we open up to His power that He will fulfill that and give us everything we need to be to be mighty men and women of God. Whoa, yeah! Oh, come on, church. Think about that. God doesn't come say, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Mocking him, he comes and he, he looks. The angels of the Lord's there and he says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. You may not see it yet. You may not even realize it yet. But the plans that God has for you are greater, far greater than what you can even begin to imagine. And as you open up to Him and allow His hand to work in your life, God will bring it to pass. You are a mighty man of valor. Amen. And that's a word for you today, Harold. Amen. You are. You're mighty men and women of God. His plan for you is far greater than anything that you can imagine. Anything that you can think. God wants to do it. But the key is humbling yourselves before God. Allowing Him to work in you and work through you. I want you to turn to somebody today and tell them. I want you to tell them that they're mighty men and women of God. And tell them to let God do what He needs to do in their heart. Amen? Let's jump back to chapter 7. I want us to see something powerful here. Look at Judges 7 and and verse 2. The troops gathered because they recognized God's hand was upon Gideon. The Israelites would come, the troops would come, when God would raise someone up, they would recognize it. They would recognize that the hand of God was upon this person, and that God was raising them up to leadership, and they would gather around them to fight the battle. Verse 2 says, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel claim glory for it itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now there were 32,000 troops, and the Midianites still outnumbered them. But God is telling Gideon, I want you to know, and I want the enemy to know, I want everybody to know that I'm the reason this battle's won. And church, there's a key there for us. Just like Austri, when she came to church today after having a heart attack earlier this week and God touching her and we prayed for her, miraculously brought her strength back, she wanted you to know what God did in her life so that God would get the glory. Amen? And we need to have that attitude. Good job, Austri. 
We need to have that attitude. Lord, whatever you're doing in my life, I want you to receive all the glory. I want you to receive all the glory in my life. Whatever you're doing, Lord, you receive the glory. Amen? And don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to tell somebody, God touched me. God answered my prayer. God worked in my family. God met my financial need. God healed me. Whatever it is, church, whatever it is, don't be ashamed to give God the glory. So, it says in this passage that 22,000 of them were afraid. And I want us to think about that just for a moment. Did they have reason to be afraid? Yes. They were outnumbered. They were going into battle with vicious enemy that was seeking to kill them. But I noticed something in the text. It doesn't say anything about anyone speaking against them for leaving and being afraid. They just simply say, if you're afraid, you're released to go home. No one was mocking them. No one was ridiculing them. And church, I think we need to learn a lesson from that. When we find someone that may not be walking in faith like we are at the time, we don't ridicule them or mock them. We don't run up to them and say, oh, you just need to have faith. You know, shame on you. We don't see that in this text. In this battle, God is dwindling the, the number of the troops down so that He gets all the glory so there's no doubt who won the battle. But those who were afraid were simply dismissed. And so, church, if you walk in great faith, we are to be a servant to those that are struggling in faith. Are you with me? We're to, we're to minister to them and encourage them. We don't come against them. In fact, in Matthew 23, in verse 11, Jesus said, But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. So when we encounter someone that's struggling, and all of us struggle with faith sometimes. None of us are perfect. But if we're mature, if we've weathered battles, if we've overcome situations if God has met us in the midst of battles before and we know that he's going to lead us through this battle that it belongs to him and we're going to see a great victory over the darkness guess what we don't ridicule those that are struggling we just come alongside we love on them we encourage them we bless them now in verse 5 now there's only 10,000 troops that remain Look at verse 5. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by yourself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the, t by the 300 men who have lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. I love this portion. Now this it seems like a strange test to us, doesn't it? It says, you know, why does God care how people drink out of a Herod's pond, you know? 
But I want you to see something in this. There's some powerful message that we need to glean. So some of them were, were getting down and getting the water in their hand and they were bringing it up and they were drinking this way. Others were getting down on all fours and they were drinking the water this way. What's the difference? If you're down on all fours, you've put your weapon down. Your head is down. You cannot see if the enemy attacks. In church, the enemy is apt to attack at any time. But the person who dips down and gets water can still have his weapon in his hand. And he's drinking and he's still able to look around and perceive what's taking place. The first one, when he's all down on all fours, is taking care of his needs, satisfying his need. It's all about them getting the water. But the second troop, get this, the second one who reaches down and gets the water and he's got his weapon ready, he's still looking around, he's observing, he's cautious, he's watching for the enemy, but he is still satisfying his need. But it's not all about satisfying his need, it's about preparing for the battle. He's preparing himself, getting the water he needs, but he's preparing for the battle. In church, I want to ask you, when you come to the river of God, in Scripture, the river is a picture of the Spirit of God. It's, it's, it's a picture of God's Spirit being poured out and drinking from the eternal river of God, the life-giving river of God. When we come to church, we are coming to the river of God. We're coming to His presence. We're wanting that life to flow in us. But church, I want to ask you, why are you coming to the river? Are you coming just to get satisfied for yourself? Or are you coming to prepare for the battle that's ahead? Yeah! That'll preach. Church, there's a battle ahead. Some of them aren't big battles. Others are major battles in our lives. But we're always uh, getting ready and prepared for the battle. And if we want to see our nation brought back to God, we have to enter into the battle. When we come into the Lord's house and we welcome Him to have His way, we want to drink from that river of God. In fact, in fact, I want to... Let me give you... a. A scripture. Ezekiel chapter 47 talks about the river of God flowing from the temple. And as it, as it flows, it brings life-giving water to everything that it touches. And it grows. The river of God grows. It gets deeper and it gets broader as it flows. But everything it touches is fruitful. Everything that it touches, it gives life to. And on a personal level, Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 38, He said, He who believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this He spoke concerning the Spirit. 
So when we come, we're drinking from the living water of God, which is the Spirit of God. We're welcoming the presence, the Holy Spirit, to have His way in us. But church, it, we should not come just saying, oh, I want, I want some Holy Ghost goosebumps. I want to have a counter with Jesus. And I want to tingle all over. Church, it's not about us just satisfying some want that we have. We want a touch of the Spirit on our lives because we're heading for a great battle. Amen? It's called situational awareness. And church, we need it in the physical realm and we need it in the spiritual realm. So when we come to church, it's not just about getting lost in the presence of God. It's about welcoming the Spirit of God to empower you, to equip you, to enable you to face the next battle and to win the victory. Amen? Amen? To win the victory over the darkness. And finally, I want to look at one more passage. Let's turn to chapter 8 and we're going to close. In Judges... Chapter 8, verse 18 through 21. And he said to Zeba and Zalmanah. Now Zeba and Zalmanah were the leaders of the Midnight, I can't say it, Midianites army. And, it said, and, and Gideon is asking them, he says, what kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? So they answered, as you are, so were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. Then he said, they were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not, I would not kill you. Now, Gideon is going to take their life, but I want us to understand this passage. These guys were on the level of Hitler. That's how evil they were. They wanted to destroy God's people. And this isn't Gideon just getting back at the enemy. It's not Gideon being bloodthirsty. It's Gideon, in fact, it's, it's more like a wartime tribunal. And the atrocities that they committed. The way it's worded here, he says, if you had let them live... <clears throat> I would not kill you. So, in other words, they murdered them. They didn't have to take their life, and he's acknowledging that. But he says, because you murdered them, I'm going to take your life. And then the passage goes on. Look at verse 20. And he said to Jeter, his firstborn, rise, kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a youth. So Zeba and Zelmana said, rise yourself and kill us, for as a man is, so is his strength. In other words, they were telling Gideon, we don't want to be killed by a boy, we want to be killed by a man. So Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zelmana, and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camel's necks. The crescent ornaments had to do with their authority 
their power. And so he was taking their medals of honor, so to speak. And he took their lives. But what I want us to see is Gideon had a heart for the next generation to experience victory over darkness. He wanted his son to understand that the battle is real. That the enemy is real. And that there are times that you have to stand against the evil with all that you have. But his son was afraid and that's understandable. We don't know how exactly what age the young man was. But church, there's a powerful message for us as parents. Teach your children that there is a real battle in this world. There is a real enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In other words, I encourage our parents to pray all the time. Pray with your husband. Pray with your wife. Pray over your family. Pray for one another. But church, that's not all that we need to do. We need to take our children and teach them how to pray. We need to teach them the power of their prayers. That their prayers are just as powerful as our prayers. Amen? Just like Gideon said, son, take your sword and you take their life. He was wanting his son to experience victory over the tyranny. And church, we need to make sure that the next generation, if the Lord tarries, is not going to give up on their nation. We need to make sure that the next generation of Christians realize that the battle is real. It's just as real a battle as what Gideon experienced with his troops. And God gave them a great victory. And you need to go read about it. I don't have time to get into all of it. But Gideon took the 300. And guess what? He gave them a trumpet in one hand and a a pot with a, a... torch in it so to speak that that idea and what is that they came into battle without any weapons why because the battle belonged to the lord because god had promised them a great victory in church we need to teach the next generation that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman accomplishes great and mighty things amen Don't just pray for our nation or pray for your needs with just your husband and wife or alone. And yes, there's times to be alone with God for every one of us. There's times that we pray together with our husband or wife. But church, there are definitely times when we need to grab the children and get them involved. There's a video that Michelle took. Oh, I think it was about two years ago now. And she was standing over here, and it was during worship. And I was standing here, and Melinda was standing here, and Hattie was standing next to both of us. And in that video, Hattie's Hattie's sitting here, and she's just looking up at the screen. She's looking up, and she's kind of dancing like this. And then she looks up at me, and she looks up at Grammy. And it's the cutest little video. 
But you know what? She was watching her Grammy and Big Paw worship, and she wanted to worship just like Grammy and Big Paw. We need to teach the next generation. Amen? Will you stand with me? I want to ask the worship team to come. I'm going to ask the prayer team. If you're a guest here today, we have a prayer team that would love to pray with any need that you have. And they come to the front and they're across the back of the auditorium against the wall if you're closer to the back. But our heart's desire is to pray. To enter into the battle with whatever need that you're facing. And as the worship team begins to lead us in worship, if you're doing great and you really don't have a a prayer need today, I want you just to begin to focus on the Lord and just worship Him for a couple of minutes while we give others an opportunity to pray today. And first of all, I want you to join me again. The last two Sundays we focused on our nation and focused on our godly heritage. Today, I'm calling our church to be the 300 that stand with Gideon. I'm calling our church to take a look at why we come to church. Is it to experience God's presence? Is it to enjoy His presence and just be satisfied? Or are we preparing for battle? Are we preparing for what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives? Because again, you are a mighty man or woman of God. That's the way God sees you. So if you have a need today, we want to pray with you. Worship team, would you go ahead and lead us? Thank you, Jesus.